Caroline. Caroline Netchert. I'm a um, person who has experienced a lot of grief and also, I guess I'm considered a professional support person of people grieving. I work as a hospital chaplain. And that's all I know right now. (laughs) Can you tell me what a chaplain does? Okay, good question. So a chaplain, um, though the word is still centered in Christocentric language, um, is generally a person who provides emotional support and spiritual support if that is something that a person needs, um, regardless of whatever their faith is. Um, So what my beliefs are, are mine privately and not part of the work that I do. Um, So I am trying to help people connect to whatever their meaning-making systems are, whether that's a more organized sort of religion or they have their own kind of spiritual practice um, or, you know, or atheist or just along for the ride, don't ever think about those things, which is also a thing. Yeah, do you work with like folks who are passing, or do you work with their families, or do you work with both? Both. So um, I work in a trauma level one setting, which is a very emergent kind of accidents, we'll say. Or mm-hmm. um, So a lot of times I'm working with the families if the patient is you know, not conscious to talk, um, but there are a lot of patients who I also talk with. So sometimes it's separately, sometimes it's one or the other, and sometimes it's both together. It just depends on the circumstance. But I'm working in an, in an acute grief setting. So these are people who are in the middle of the trauma, in the middle of the loss. Um, it's, you know, they're at the very beginning of their grief. Yeah, very good. I'm Brianna, Brianna Connor, and I think how I find myself in this project is as a person who uh, uses movement as a way to encourage people to return to their bodies. Um, I live with complex PTSD, I live with other disabilities, and so I think understanding how to live in my body from those vantage points, but then also as a person who has experienced uh, a lot of loss. And so when we experience loss, when we experience grief or big change or transition, it's my hope to invite people back into the body, invite people to feel and try to do so in like community settings, usually in like movement spaces. with the hope that doing so in solidarity creates more ease. Um, And so I'm really excited about doing this work together because we met at meditation retreat. Mm -hmm. And I got to shout out the Dharma homies because I got to shout out the Dharma homies. (laughs) But the Dharma homies are a collective of... um, I guess would it be mindfulness, mindfulness practitioners and teachers um, who are based here in Albuquerque and in the Bay Area. Um, also two, two locations that we've both spent some time in. Um, 
but we met on retreat. And so I think that for me, being able to develop a meditation practice has been really like a key element of being able to like look at my grief, be with my grief. And yeah, it makes me excited to like share that and share that um, way of like attending to yourself. Mm-hmm. That was a good day. That was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about your practice? Yeah, I have been practicing Buddhist meditation for like 15 years. Um, And it looks different on different days. I don't always have a like formal sitting practice. Um, It's more, it's become more like just being aware as I move throughout my day. Mm -hmm. And, And like reflective... You know, maybe when I'm in the car, when I'm, you know, walking from one place to another at work, um, I try and like bring that into my everyday, especially because I'm not, I haven't been sitting as much as I, you know, have at different times in my life. Yeah. Um, I like that. And I feel like that's some of what I've been thinking about recently, like you can offer like intention and the breath at any point during your day, like when you're washing the dishes or even if you have time to like, I don't know, just be quiet with yourself between having to do all of the things that you have to do on any given day. Like you can find a lot of, you can find some expansion even if you only have a couple of minutes, but. Totally. Yeah. It's like, what is accessible? for your life what are you actually gonna do yeah (laughs) (laughs) not not what do you very much so not want to do right what doesn't feel good yeah I've definitely had the circumstances where I've I remember this so vividly like sitting and doing like a guided meditation and like sitting like completely straight up and like I don't know trying to do this certain thing and then like the meditation ended and I just kind of like fell back and cried because I had been so uncomfortable the whole time just like so rigid (laughs) yeah like so rigidly sitting yeah um but I think that that's a really good word like what makes your practice accessible to you and I think the teachers that I gravitate towards most at this point in my life are ones that are like do it how you like it yeah yeah (laughs) yeah because it's like what's sustainable you know Mm -hmm. you're not gonna do I'm not gonna do something that I don't really like feel connected to I might do it a couple times and then it's like anything else like exercising or something it's like if I'm not really feeling like there's an aliveness to it or something exciting about it. Like I might do it a couple times. And I'm like, eh. yeah, <laughs> I like this anymore. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I can find a million other things I'd rather do with my time. Yeah. So yeah. And that, 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 that will probably change. You know I mean? There are certainly people who have that, like they sit 20 minutes every morning and they have for 40 years, but like, that's not everybody's path and not everyone's experience. Yeah. And I guess my, my, The other thing that I think began, like, some of our early conversations as we were getting to know each other was, like, yes, that connection, meeting at retreat, and then also 
just thinking about being with the loss of a parent. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I guess like professionally relating to grief is very different than like a personal practice, but if there's anything that you want to share with like how you care for yourself for like personal grief, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um so I mean my dad died in 2016 and it was I mean it's sounds like so trite but it really was life-changing because I had never lost somebody that close to me I'd lost friends but it it just felt different to lose a parent um and I think I learned how to be just like kind of open myself to the grief um to varying degrees. I mean, there's certainly a lot of resistance that comes up, I think, when you're feeling grief over extended periods of time because it's so exhausting and mm. there's like this kind of wall that you hit and you're like, I do not want to feel this way anymore. Yeah. When is this ever going to be over? Nobody around me wants to hear me talk about this ever again. I don't want to hear me talk about this ever again. There's like this feeling of like wanting to rush through the process Mm -hmm. that is just like not a natural part of it it's just like that's just not how it works I mean of course everyone's grief journey is different but for me that's not how it worked and I think a lot of other people I've talked to especially with the loss of a parent have felt similarly where it's like you're kind of reorienting to the world yeah and so I really just like I remember like just crying and crying and crying like every day. And at a certain point I was like, Oh, if I just let myself cry, I feel better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mentioned something about like it changing your orientation to the world. And I think, um, my mom passed in 2014. Um, and I felt like I was no longer, like, tethered to the earth in a physical way. Like, I felt so, like, um, like, without myself. Like, I felt just, like, this floating. Um, Like, gravity was different. Mm -hmm. And I think this thing that you're mentioning like giving yourself permission to cry giving yourself permission to feel is like very impactful and like I don't know when I think about like all of the ways that I can and have avoided the feeling and like sometimes those things can range from like minorly distracting to like destructive Mm. and Like, having to, to like, instead of feeling the feeling, like, just being distracted from it, focusing on something else, maybe that thing, like, doesn't feel good, and then I have to deal with the ramifications of that thing, and then eventually, like, make your way back to having to just feel the, like, the fucking feeling that you were just originally sitting with. Yeah. Is, I don't know, it's such a long road, and I think that, 
in some ways being able to like witness that and like slowly find my way back to just like okay like I'm sad mm-hmm. and like there I think that there's this quote from Andrew Garfield I think that that's Batman or not Batman that's uh, Spider-Man right one of the Spider-Man one of the Spider-Man <laughs> um not Batman whole different experience um but I remember listening to him talk about like grieving his mother and him talking about how he's so grateful to be able to feel that grief Mm. because the grief is in relationship to like all of this love that he is now not going to be able to shower on her in you know in this form in the less like physical reality and so he like carries this grief with him um and he feels like grateful to talk about her and I think there's many different kinds of grief it's not always like losing a human um and maybe you have a complicated experience with that human I had a very complicated relationship to my mother's passing and I grieved her even in her life yeah Um, but I think the closer I've been able to just like be with whatever the emotion is, and maybe sometimes it's sadness, but also like anger, um, also like, like something like despair, like something that's kind of different than sadness, like the anxiety of like you know, not being able to, like, have the connections or the resources or the support that, that I would hope or imagine from this person. Like, there's so many different ways um, that that shows up. And if I can just allow myself to feel that feeling, it passes. Who, who could have thunk? <laughs> um... And I don't know if, like, before I started to be with my grief, if if I really, like, understood emotions and that level of clarity. Yeah. Still working on it, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for life, right? But, like, I I agree. I feel like I remember writing... I wrote a lot in my early grief, and I remember writing, like that grief really made me feel the fullness of my humanity. Mm. You know, like that I've never felt so in touch with being a human, you know, as like being that close to someone and then them not being there. Mm. And, um, and part of that, like those waves of like despair and like the panic that comes of like, an early grief when you're like, oh my gosh, they're not here. Like the yeah. kind of surrealness is for me, it made me feel close to my dad. Mm-hmm. Like there's that feeling of like that intensity of despair would also make me feel close to him in mm-hmm. some way. And, um, and then I realized as time went on and my relationship to grief changed and I, you know, wasn't, laying in bed crying every day there was also a a grief in being 
separated from that like that would I ever feel close to him again you know that freshness like will I will I you know not just remember all the things about him and his voice and you know touch and sound and smell and all that but like that that feeling of like being kind of ripped open and feeling like that closeness um which is changed you know it's changed and I still do sometimes but it's it's not like it was when it first happened, you know? So there's like the, there's like griefs within the grief, you know? Yeah. And I think for some reason it makes me think about as soon as someone passes, everybody's like, Oh my God, what do you need? Like there's like so much um, attention. And I just remember being like fully, gone you know like numb and shock like not people like what you need and you're like yeah (laughs) I have have no ability to let you know what that is and then like two weeks later everyone's gone yeah and then you like start to feel again and that's probably actually when the food caravan should start. Yeah. You know? No, that's true. Um, that's when, like, the check-ins should start. That's when people should be like, oh, like, the the, sh- the shock has worn off now. I bet you need some care, yeah. some, like, directed care. Um, and, like, every October, I have Kimberly month, Kimberly season. And... I sit with my grief in, like, many ways, and I sort of have had to, like, cut out that whole, like, my body remembers every year that something completely absurd happened. Mm -hmm. Something, like, very humane, but also completely... Yeah. What? Like, wild. Um, And being able to, like revisit myself and like what happened and like her passing and what I love about her and maybe make some foods and like you know like having all of those rituals I think is one way that I remain in relationship to that grief um any rituals you do yeah food definitely (laughs) yeah because my dad was the cook in our family so there's strong like remembering him through food mm-hmm. and like holidays that I don't really care about. I mean, I, you know, whatever, like he was super into Christmas. Mm-hmm. So now I feel like connected to him through being like really extra about Christmas, you know, nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah so, and, and you know, just kind of, like pausing when I when there are moments like you know starting a new job or what like there's thing there's things that happen that now I can't call and tell him about so yeah. it's like and early on those are like really hard moments and sometimes they still are but I feel like I have experienced enough of them that I feel um I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't like throw me off the way it would before. And I feel like I, but I do, you know, we'll talk to him sometimes and tell him, you know, are there any like places? 
Well, not here. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if my dad ever went to New Mexico. I think he did actually as a kid, but yeah, when I'm home in Virginia, for sure, like like trails that he liked to walk and places for sure. I there, there's like this place in the Bay Area called Point Isabel. You know where that is? It's a dog park. It is a dog park, and it's right by the Costco. Usually yes. people like know those two things. Um, and that's where I scattered her ashes. Um, and so, like, that is a place. But, like, I feel like usually either I'm at my altar or I'm outside when I talk to her. And I can feel, like, the wind mm-hmm. as, like, a... I don't know. She's in there. And so sometimes I'll feel, like the wind kind of wrap around me in a way that's happened like multiple times but I don't know I think that there's like sometimes ways that the earth shows us yeah I love that yeah and I my dad's in a lot of my dreams Mm, dream dreams and grief are yeah a whole thing a whole thing and I, I like immediately after my mom passed I had much like I still have dreams now, but, like, I feel like there was a lot of, like, information and visitation early on, which is nice. It's, like, a, it's kind of a sweet relief sometimes. Yeah. Um, stages of grief? Yes. Yeah. So, um... Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book called On Death and Dying. I don't remember. It was in maybe the 60s or 70s. It was a while ago. And the stages of what have now become the stages of grief were actually written initially for on the stages of dying, really about the person who was dying. Mm-hmm. So the stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But they're not necessarily linear. I mean, they can be to a certain extent, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything like it's, and grief is not linear at all. all. (laughs) So you can, you know, and some people will just be angry maybe for the rest of their lives. Like, I don't know, you know, I mean, I think that's interesting because people are so afraid of anger. I think culturally, like, that there's kind of like you this pressure to like get to acceptance yeah like that one stage might be better than another and there's certainly like if it's affecting your life negatively like if you're you know stuck in any feeling for a long time um there is a thing called complex grief so um which i experienced and Um, but I think that it's important to just like be naturally like with whatever stage or phase or however you want to say it, you are, I mean, it's just the way you feel. It's the way you feel. Yeah. And I think like, I've been reading Love and Rage by Lamarado Owens and I think one thing that he shares is, like, how, you know, for some folks, like, especially 
like black folks in this circumstance he's like a black man talking about how like it is dangerous to be with his it can potentially be dangerous to be with your anger and to express mm-hmm. that anger um and so there's definitely ways that like different folks are conditioned to not be with certain emotions or to privilege those emotions over others um and i think like it is radical to simply like be with your emotions be with your experience of what's happening and and understand that like you know sometimes you might be in denial and experiencing anger and be experiencing depression at the same time yeah and um you know maybe we have circumstances where we experience like a singular grief at one time but the more i've become like friends with my grief and like gotten to know it the more I'm able to see grief in like really a lot of facets of life Mm -hmm. and what does that mean to me so it's like maybe I'm experiencing like you know it's really lovely to live here like I've lived in this is the second time I've lived in New Mexico and I've lived here now for like almost a year and a half um and at the same time feeling the grief of no longer being in this other place that I called home, that I had relationships and people that I cared deeply about. And maybe that's not the same as the grief that comes during Kimberly season, but, like, like that's grief happening at the same time and experiencing the complexity of, like, different emotions across those facets. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can grieve, right? Anytime something's ending... I think that grief can come along with that. It's just like a way of moving through the transition, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it might be cute to read the types of grief. I love that. Um, And one of the ones that I was just thinking about is I imagine folks who have babies feel grief of like the life before and as they're beginning like this new chapter of life like that's so exciting and also you grieve what your life was like before parenthood and yeah. so I think that's one that I hadn't thought of yet do you want to shall we read it do you want to read together like you could read a couple and I read a couple sure okay um grief of growing up childhood you wanted versus the childhood you have the, ch- the partnership that you wanted versus the partnership you had, loss of ideas, loss of hope, and then the loss of a pet, the loss of a job, um, or the end of a job, obviously the loss of a loved one we've talked a lot about. Moving, changing of housing, leaving a space where you've created memories, coming out, graduating, Even if you're excited to close a chapter in your life, bittersweet feelings or grief that this thing is ending in order for this new thing to begin. In order to go there, I have to leave here. I like that. Um, Any major life change, collective grief. Which has been a big one. Yeah, that's been a big one. Um, Difficult, any difficult transition, culture shock. Um, change of relationships, end of relationships, 
change of home, changes in biofamily or disconnection from biofamily or bioplace, complicated grief, grieving the loss of someone who abused you, them not being who you needed them to be, for them, for us. Um, this is one that you shared today, disenfranchised grief, grieving what the majority of culture is denying in some way, chronic illness, disability, police violence. The parent you needed or wanted not being available or constantly and had constantly rubbing up against that grief. Ancestral grief, grief for what has happened to ancestors, primary and secondary grief. Endings. Endings. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> um, and I think there's so so many more um but i like that as a starting place just to consider some of like the expansiveness of like the ways that grief shows up in our life um i'm gonna read a quote from pima chodron this letting things go is sometimes called non-attachment but not with the cool remote quality often associated with that word this non-attachment has more kindness and more intimacy than that. It's actually a desire to know, like the questions of a three-year-old. We want to know our pain so we can stop endlessly running. We want to know our pleasure so we can stop endlessly grasping. Then somehow our questions get bigger and our inquisitiveness more vast. We want to know about loss so we might understand other people when their lives are falling apart. Pima Chodron. I really like that one. Yeah. I think the like running, the grasping, and like the connection to community. And I think that's part of the reason why I was interested in engaging with some of these loved ones that I have, like you, like Matin, who's also working on grief movement, my friend Sara, Jordan, because I'm not connected to my bio family's like, uh, spiritual practice. Like That's not a thing that has felt nutritious for me. And so I found my own ways and my own rituals and that has started to feel like really good. And I think that there is some, like something to be said around like queering grief and like finding rituals that feel good. Um, finding ways of like being with each other, witnessing each other. And maybe sometimes that's art making, but other times I think it's food, I mean, food is art making. Um, but like what, what we can share together. Yeah, and I really like that like how do we stop running how do we stop grasping um, and how are we able to like understand our own grief so that we can like be there be fully present with other people which I think is what you have to do every day when you go to work yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> And I think you bring up a really important, like, cultural aspect is that grief has always been done in community. I mean, through all different cultures for all time. Yeah. And I think 
that's really important you know and that's I think that's hard when like you lose somebody you know we move away we we both moved away from where we're from right yeah. and maybe have complex connections to the people who are there in yeah. different ways so being here in a different place mm -hmm. like how do you find support and be support to people in a way it's like nobody here ever met my dad or knew my dad right so that's like a, it, it there is this kind of isolation that can come along with the way that you know white European American cultures rooted in like this very individualistic thing that yeah. I think that's the real shadow side of it <laughs> I deserve, like, I'm like no there's a big shadow okay it's mostly a shadow <laughs> but we're talking about grief right now so laughing's <sighs> well, good for the grief too <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah but we need each other yeah that was my way of saying that <laughs> yeah we I 10 out of 10 other. agree and like I think there's like the white vantage point and that has to be coupled with like the capitalism of it all yeah. right like there's so much individualism there's so much isolation yes um and I don't know just just like being able to have time to grieve yeah. is, is like such a... Just like literally getting off of work. Yeah, like not yeah. having to work while being in the bed crying every day. Like, yeah. And, and that's like... What if the economics of your lived experience are like wholly tied to this person or yeah. to the change that you're experiencing or this transition? And so... Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I think one of the examples that I saw to that like really encouraged me in the process of making this project is the Rothko Chapel that is in Houston. And I don't think that that space is devoted to grief, but I do think mm. that it's um there's like this austere quality. There is this like, like I, I remember so vividly watching this, I think this like human who did construction or something and I saw him like walk in and he like took off his, took off their boots and they put them to the side and took off their vest and put that to the side and like the helmet they were wearing and they just like sat with these huge pieces of art and, and just like spent time there. And I'll, like, never forget, like, I think that the Rothkos were quite dark. They are like, black, dark, like, textures of black. Um, and the, like, reflective quality on, on the vest. And they just, like, were in witness of this. And I think my hope is to, like, create an environment where people can sit with themselves and sit with mm. other people that maybe they don't know. Yeah. Um... And people who are grieving maybe diametrically opposed lived experiences, but we can do so together. 
and maybe even like maybe there'll be movement you know like if we're able to be with our, our experience be in solidarity with other people maybe it can continue to move and I don't think that that means that it goes away it doesn't go away or the grief that I hold has not gone away but it does shift and change and like doesn't kind of like I don't know, get stuck in a body part or some place in the body that you, like, ooh, why is it hurting there? And you're like, is the great? Yeah. Yeah. So find a comfortable way or position for your body, whatever feels supportive and comfortable to you we're going to sit for five minutes and just check in with ourselves maybe let yourself feel the contact with whatever you're you're sitting on feel your body in contact with that and just Maybe take a minute to look around if you need to orient yourself to the space. If you find that supportive, if you prefer to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. Really, it's just about coming into this moment in a way that will feel supportive to you. And any part of this you know, feel free to do whatever is most supportive to you. This is all just a suggestion. Maybe we'll just start with a couple of deep breaths. We'll take three breaths. Just thinking about grief and difficulty and loss. I like to feel my feet on the ground if that feels supportive to you or whatever. I find that to be grounding just to feel into that. And find a neutral place in the body that doesn't really feel particularly good or bad. Just come to that space of neutrality if any of this starts feeling overwhelming. If you have feelings of grief coming up as we've been talking about this, or if you're standing in this space and remembering someone or something that's bringing up feelings of grief. Just invite you to 
see what that feels like. Just let yourself be curious about it. Just notice what your body's feeling as you're thinking about this loss or this person. Notice if there's tightness and where that is. And notice if there's maybe feelings of more of an expansion if that's the experience of grief today. Feels like waves of expansion and contraction. This opening your heart, and then that despair of grief can really make everything feel tight and closed. Just kind of notice what feels true for you now. taking moments to connect with the breath. Not forcing it to be any certain way, just letting the breath breathe the body. And when it feels right for you, just Bringing your attention back to the space. Maybe opening your eyes. Wiggling your toes. And being here. It was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Just go I was like, Whoa. <laughs> hmm. We're going to begin with a body scan, thanking our feet for leading us this far thinking the ankles, the lower leg, the knee, this beautiful hinge, the upper leg, the hips, the pelvis, thinking the back, all that it carries the low back, mid back, upper back. Think the stomach, our center, our intuition. Thinking the chest, the shoulders, Upper arm, lower arm, 
the hands. Think the neck, the skull, the mind. Take a couple of deep breaths. Now I want you to imagine whatever grief you're walking with today, maybe it's many griefs, is an object, is something that you hold outside of your body. And maybe you gather it up Maybe there's a little grief that lives in the foot, behind the knee, in the hip, so frequently in the hip. Gather gather up all of that grief, hold it in our hands. How big is that grief? Can you pick it up? Must you set it down and look at it? Now I want you to imagine yourself, a future self. Maybe that self is five years down the line, 10 years, maybe decades from now, whatever feels sweet. And I want you to imagine that that grief is the same, but you have grown much bigger, maybe stronger. Maybe you now have some resource that makes it where you can carry it with you with more ease. See yourself, maybe a beloved elder with this shape, this weight that you can move with just a little more ease. Remembering the feet on the ground. The weight in the seat. The shoulders on the back. We're going to end our meditation together 
with three more big, beautiful breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. In. Out. In. Out. Last one, in.